0: Ah, the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, the boom years of the video game industry. Yeah. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. <laughs> Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Sorry. Let's change that. You I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them both then and now, and we'll see if those games hold up today. Yeah. Incredible. I'm Earl Green and this is Select Game. <laughs> Select Game. Welcome back to the is This March or- April edition of select game let's call it the spring edition which was something I kind of hoped not to do but uh, real life has been intervening with alarming regularity in case you haven't heard I am preparing for a cross-country move so I'm having to pack out the house sell the house uh, look for a job at my destination before I land there and all sorts of fun stuff, and so, yeah, things have been just a little bit busy, and I'm trying valiantly not to fall behind on the podcasting front, but uh, here we are with the spring edition of Select Game. So, as usual, let's kick things off with a little bit of news. Here, as they say, is the news. Once again, just in case you missed it in last month's show, we are trying very hard to get Odyssey 2 logo lapel pins made in partnership with Pop Square, who runs an amazing Etsy store. I advise you to check it out. It's P O P S Q R. The pins would be 30 millimeters by 12 millimeters, also known as one and one-fifth inch by half an inch the logo is the logo would be in a single color selected from the middle of the color grade from red to yellow in the odyssey 2 logo that was really for the sake of simplicity and being able to get the thing done cheaply pre-orders are being taken for a very limited time from here for seven dollars each we have to get 30 pre-orders for the pin to go into production and that hasn't happened yet. Last I spoke to Scott and Jen at Pop Square, we were kind of spinning our wheels around the halfway mark, which, um, boy, I really wasn't expecting that. You know, we have actually come up short on orders and missed the first deadline. Pop Square agreed to extend the deadline, and uh, hopefully we can get there, spread the word. I uh, post about the pin project frequently on Facebook and Twitter. Feel free to retweet those, share those, whatever you like. Let's get this thing made because, you know, none of of these $7 per pre-ordered pin goes to me. I had to pay for my pre-order just like everyone else because I want the thing to exist. So I'm right there with you. So yeah, we're running out of time on the Odyssey two pins. Let's uh, let's hope we can get these into production and get across that finish line. On March 14th, the worlds of science and science communication lost a towering figure. Professor Stephen Hawking died on March 14th, which also happened to be Pi Day. Yeah, three, one, four. <laughs> And it also happened to be the anniversary of Albert Einstein's birthday. Now this month we're going to look at two wildly different Odyssey 2 and Video Pack products that remind me just a little bit of Professor Hawking's work. Did he actually have anything to do with the Odyssey 2 or the Video Pack? I'm going to say probably not. But it's just possible that these two parts of the Odyssey 2 universe drew inspiration either from Hawking's pioneering theoretical physics work or from how he was able to continue living and interacting with his disabilities. Now the game we're about to play first, Black Hole, also known as Neutron Star, was released in 1983 by Philips, but it was released only in Europe and South America under two wildly different titles. The title was never made available in North America prior to the days of emulators or fan-made multi-carts. The game was designed by GST Video, which may or may not mean that Graham Thomason himself was involved. Remember we talked about GST Video back when we were talking about some of the Parker Brothers arcade ports that were released for the European market. Now one thing about... Black Hole, or Neutron Star, whichever you care to call it, it is a brutally, unforgivingly tough game. I have a feeling that Philips may have offered it to the North American market, and, you know, whoever was in charge of playtesting stuff that came from Europe for the American market probably shook their head and said, uh, no, people are going to hate this there is really no way to advance there is no way to win there is no win condition you cannot throw enough projectiles into the black hole to close it um it only gets harder until it kills you there is no winning only suffering okay so neutron star here's here's the first i think i may have played this game once before today <laughs> So this is going to be an experience. Neutron Star, unknown invaders from a faraway galaxy have blown up in an uninhabited planet, hoping that the scattered fragments will destroy an entire system of man-made satellites as part of their evil plans. Now, the game doesn't go on to tell us what those evil plans might be, but, uh, you know, that's not the game's job. The game's job is to blow stuff up. <laughs> So let's do that. Now, uh, I have told you fine folks from the very beginning of Select Game that if I ever run into a game that I do not have in cartridge form and am not running on original native hardware, I will let you know this is one of those cases I'm having to play Neutron Star, a.k.a. Black Hole as, uh, as an emulated game. So... Let's get what is likely to be a very embarrassing party started. You start the game by pressing one and boom. Okay, so I have the first, and I died. Okay. Let's try that again. That ended badly for me. Now if I don't give myself a lot of thrust, I can... Uh, oh no! It, it's, it destroyed one of my own satellites. And I died suddenly. Okay, let's try this again. You gonna let me try this again? Yeah, only standard Odyssey 2 or video pack game, you get just one life. Now, I wonder if I can, uh... The controls are very much like asteroids on the 2600. Pushing up gives you your thrust. Oh! Oh, I. Yeah. Uh. Uh, ah! <laughs> I suck at this game. Now you're probably uh, wondering actually, what on earth? <laughs> this incredibly difficult game that was never released in North America. Has to do with Stephen Hawking. A lot of Stephen Hawking's pioneering academic work had to do with the realm of cosmology. The origins of the universe. Ah, got one. And black holes. One of which is not letting go of me. Oh, I survived. Apparently, once you uh, get the first obstacle, you know, once you get the first object deposited into the black hole, ah, such as yourself, you die. Okay. <laughs> okay. So as I was mentioning, a lot of Stephen Hawking's pioneering academic work was in the realm of cosmology and investigating the origins of the universe, and... A lot of it you know, in addition to creating uh a theoretical framework in which the Big Bang could have happened you know, hypothetically. Which, you know, at this point in Hawking's lifetime, you know, the assumption was that Oh, ow, ow. Yes, yes, Earl, it's a very good idea trying to give a science history lecture while playing video games. But just try and stop me. Okay. <laughs> The projectiles, the objects that you're supposed to be carrying to the black hole, instead of allowing them to repeatedly hit your your satellites, which is what I am doing because I stink at this, uh, they change colors and become faster and harder to catch and more numerous. So, yeah, there's definitely a difficulty curve here. Okay, so as I was saying, I'm actually going to stop the game because I stink at it. As I was saying, a lot of Hawking's pioneering work was in the realm of black holes and coming up with a hypothetical framework under which it could be theorized that black holes exist, including a uh, a theoretical form of radiation called Hawking radiation, which, at this time, as of this podcast, has yet to be directly observed or measured. So it's still still in the realm of theory. Of course, it's really hard to directly observe or measure something that consumes even light. But the theory behind Hawking radiation was that, at the very least, the decay of the particles making up Whatever the black hole is swallowing must give off some sort of signature, and that signature would be this form of radiation that is you know we're still looking for signs of it astronomically speaking, a neutron star on the other hand, that wasn't really Hawkings field that had to do with uh incredibly dense stars, you know so densely tightly packed, you know their matter so densely packed that they would have an incredible mass, not unlike myself. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting that uh, Europe got this game as Neutron Star. South America got this game as Black Hole, or as, uh, as it was rendered in South American Spanish, Braco Negro. Two wildly different astronomical concepts and one really, really tough game. So there you have it. Black Hole or Neutron Star, depending on where you source the game from. Uh, And two completely wildly different cosmological concepts. So, yeah. Now let's talk about something that I've had penciled in to talk about on the podcast for quite some time. And as you know... Uh, Professor Stephen Hawking lost his voice to a a surgical procedure in the 1980s and had to begin using a computer to serve as his voice initially through a keyboard and then ultimately through a system designed for people with such disabilities where he could use facial, you know, movements of his facial muscles to open drop-down menus and select frequently used words and communicate that way. That is obviously not something that the Odyssey 2 is going to be helping anyone do anytime terribly soon. But if, uh, if you feel like you need a little synthetic voice in your life, there's the voice of Odyssey 2. The voice of Odyssey 2 was introduced in North America only around October 1982. The voice is an add-on module that slips over the top of the Odyssey 2 console and directly into the cartridge slot as it features its own cartridge slot as well as a sort of recession that snuggles around the Odyssey 2's existing power button and it features its own speakers and its own volume slider because it is not driving its audio output through the TV. The Voice of Odyssey 2 was built around the General Instruments SP0256019 speech chip with additional pre-programmed phrases and sound effects stored permanently in a sister General Instruments chip, the SPR128003 ROM chip. Now the Voice really has two distinct modes. Playback of sampled speech and sounds, which, what I like to call the demented game show host voice that you hear in games like Casey's Crazy Chase and Smithereens. Oh, ouch! Oh no! And then there's phoneme-based speech, which sounds more robotic, but it allowed game programmers and consumers to produce customized phrases, such as the voice of Spirus the Deathless in Attack of the Time Lord, or the buzzing of the bees in Killer Bees. And it could even produce noise at specific frequencies, such as the music in Turtles, which we already covered in a past podcast. A South American release for The Voice was announced in 1984, and then never happened. Now, here is why that was probably the case. This probably would have required two speech chips programmed to speak Spanish. The existing voice games for the American market were programmed to trigger English phrases and phonemes, which probably explains why Philips never proceeded with any plans to release the voice module in other parts of the world that did not primarily speak English. As I mentioned, the voice had its own speaker and volume control and did not run its sound through the television speaker. So it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. You have the native Odyssey 2 sound effects coming out of your television, but all of the voice sound effects coming directly out of the voice. Now, interestingly enough, the voice was released at roughly the same time as Mattel's IntelliVoice speech synthesizer for the Intellivision console, which used a General Instruments SP025612 speech chip. All of the General Instruments SP0256 series speech chips featured a 10 kHz sampling rate, Um, For comparison, CD sampling rate is 44.1 kHz, so uh, yeah, far from being radio-ready, I'll say. And both the Odyssey 2 and Intellivision voice modules were customized variants of that basic SP0256AL chip, which was marketed to uh, various businesses and industries as the Orator, commissioned respectively by Philips Magnavox and Mattel Electronics. The basic SP0256 chip was marketed mainly to hobbyists, and various electronics and computer magazines such as Analog and Antic published plans and diagrams for homebrew speech add-on modules for computers like the TRS-80, the Atari 8-bit computers, and the Commodore VIC-20, all built around the readily available SP0256AL chip. Another known variant of that chip, the SP025617, was marketed to makers of early speaking clocks. Just a uh, timely little bit of trivia there. Now the difference between the Intellivision and Odyssey 2 variants is pretty much down to this. The voice of Odyssey 2 was entirely self-contained. Aside from stringing together game-specific phonemes for text or music using the robotic voice, all of the voice's phrases were pre-programmed into the hardware. You could not get that sampled voice to exceed the limitations of what was already recorded and sampled and burned onto the chip. The limitations of the voice hardware would be more or less impossible to exceed. Now, the Intellivoice speech chip had 16K of memory independent of the console itself, and as such, Intellivoice games could contain specialized sound samples on a special ROM chip in the cartridge, the General Instruments SPB-640, which were not reliant on pre-programmed phrases built into the hardware. Now, what on earth does any of this have to do with Stephen Hawking? After he had to undergo a tracheotomy in 1985, one of the many side effects of the degenerative muscle disease from which he suffered, Professor Hawking began using deck talk system marketed for about $4,000 by DEC or Digital Equipment Corporation. Deck Talk originated as ClatTalk named after its inventor Dennis Clat. Talk was first marketed by Digital in March 1984 primarily as a device that could hook up to a phone line connect to a dial-up computer system, you know, such as MCI Mail and read email messages to the user. Now there was no provision for voice recognition, so you still, you know, any responses, you had to type back in, but it would kindly read them to you. Now, Dennis Klatt had always intended for DEC Talk to be of use to people whose disabilities prevented them from speaking for themselves, and he helped to design the sensor mounted to Hawking's right cheek, allowing him to select words from a menu. An early form of predictive text would allow Hawking to pick words quickly enough to interact in normal conversations, only slightly slower than if he were capable of speaking for himself. The cheek sensor was necessary because the same disease that had robbed Hawking of his voice, his vocal cords, prevented either fine or gross motor control of his hands and fingers, so manual entry was already impossible. Now, the voice most commonly associated with Stephen Hawking's speech synthesizer, was the default built-in Decktalk voice called Perfect Paul, and this was based on recordings of Dennis Klatt himself. And Dennis Klatt died in 1989, and Deck Talk was sold as a, an intellectual property asset to various companies afterward, by which time Hawking had moved on to an Intel Windows-based system called ACAT. However, Hawking was adamant that Intel track down and incorporate the Perfect Paul voice samples to incorporate into his new speech system, and so, in a way, as long as Stephen Hawking was around, the late Dennis Clatt had a strange kind of immortality. So, what's the difference? <laughs> a lot. The difference between the General Instruments SP0256 family and whatever was used to generate speech in the earliest DeckTalk models. And I tried to, uh, I tried to find some specs on the central processor for that and I, I am sad to report that uh, I was unable to find that information and for that I apologize because this you know this technical information is kind of dry but it's also kind of fascinating but you have to think about it Klatt was developing the earliest versions of Talk before he sold it to Digital Equipment Corporation in 1982 so technically Deck talk was based on technology only slightly older than either the voice of Odyssey 2 or the Intellivoice. Now, does this mean you could use an Odyssey 2 to communicate if you lost your voice? Well, let's plug in Type and Tell and find out. Alright, we are typing and telling. So, I've got the Got the microphone set up right next to the, uh, the voice of Odyssey 2. So let's see what the Odyssey has to say for itself.
1: Hello,
0: Listeners, okay. So, lesson one uh, with type until on the uh, voice of Odyssey 2 is that sometimes you have to spell things really stupidly phonetically. Now, let's. uh, I'm trying to remember some of the phrases that patently do not work. All right. I am typing in, I have a baby doggy. I'm spelling everything correctly, and here's what I get.
1: I have a, baby doggy.
0: a babby doggy. So, what you have to do is you have to misspell things. Baby doggy. Okay baby doggy. So the Odyssey 2 obviously uh can't really smooth talk you with any uh any reliable frequency because it can't even pronounce baby. That's right, baby. Yeah, thank you. Okay. So the uh Basically, there there is no select game screen on this game. You have just a blue background, and you have 96 green squares. One of them has a cursor around it. And basically, you just type in, type in what you want, and it will have a go at saying it. So, Oh, already uh typo will kill you on this. Uh, resetting basically kills everything you just typed and gives you a fresh screen. Oh, very good. I should probably put that in the open somewhere. Now, one thing that was suggested in the Type and Tell manual is that you can get the Odyssey to do uh, sound effects. If I remember correctly, even though the manual is sitting there right in front of me, I'm going off of memory from 30 years ago. 30-plus years ago, uh, typing in a row of cues, or maybe more than one row of cues, gets you a sound effect not unlike a chugging train. Okay. It makes me just want to start singing Working in a Coal Mine. Now, um, I've also found that alternating letters and then repeating that alternation uh, can produce some interesting results. Uh, This is a result of the letters WV over and over again. So West Virginia this is for you. Now, one thing I do remember is that, rather hilariously, the voice of Odyssey 2 is incapable of correctly pronouncing, when correctly spelled, the name of Magnavox's chief competitor in the video game industry. Uh, so I'm now having to... Okay, let's see if I can spell that out. A-T-A-R space and then the letter E. A turkey. Sounded suspiciously close to a turkey, so maybe uh, yeah, maybe he's talking about the, the great Missile Command royalty. <laughs> you programmed the top-selling game of the year. Have a turkey. What Type Intel does not give you access to is any of the pre-recorded sound effects that are built into the chips that I was talking about, the General Instruments chips, that store pre-recorded speech, pre-recorded sounds like the explosions and the, you know, the whistling bombs from smithereens. Type Intel does not give you access to that. I wonder if it can pronounce video video pack. Eh... Almost, almost. So, in a way, um, yeah. There's your demonstration of type until. <laughs> that's that's really all it does. It's uh, you know it's speak and spell for your Odyssey two, and uh, you have to you have to get creative every once in a while to get it to pronounce things correctly because correct spelling ain't gonna cut it hey, bang, bang. so there you go the pack-in cartridge included with the voice of odyssey 2 type and tell a type and tell was programmed by robert cheesem with an assist from bob harris uh, harris had this to say about type and tell in an interview i conducted with him for classic gamer magazine I only contributed some technical capabilities to this one. Prior to this cartridge, you generally didn't see more than 20 or so characters on an Odyssey screen. I figured out how to get 96 characters up there. Now, that's probably due to the fact that they were not animated characters, and so you could you know, pretty much lay them on the screen and leave them unless the user backed up and deleted anything. Type and is, you know, it's really speak and spell for your TV. You type, it talks. Yeah, that was the blurb used on the box. It uses only the, the phoneme-based robot voice, which one of the video game magazines at the time described as Darth Vader on Qualudes. Now, as you can imagine, when I went to ask my mother what Darth Vader on Quaaludes meant, she was overjoyed that video game magazines were introducing me to such concepts. Now, Bob Harris had this to say about the voice overall from his standpoint as a designer and programmer of games for the Odyssey 2. "'The problem with the voice thing was that you couldn't use it as an integral part of play, since most people didn't have one. It was difficult to get an accurate reading of whether the thing was out there or not, so for the most part, I think we all considered it a nuisance.'" Whether you remember Professor Hawking for his pioneering work in cosmology and theoretical physics or his distinctive synthesized voice, you can't deny that he made an impact. And there are worse things that you can do than play a round of Black Hole or Neutron Star or fire up the voice of Odyssey 2 in his honor. That's all the time we have for the Select Game Podcast. You can hear Select Game on iTunes, Stitcher, and ThrowbackNetwork.net, and you can also subscribe to the RSS feed. You'll find the podcast itself and occasional goodies associated with it at www.thelogbook.com slash selectgame. If you really dig Select Game, also check out the 365 Day a Year Escape Pod Geek History Podcast at thelogbook.com and donations toward the site's upkeep and continued podcast production are always gladly accepted at patreon.com slash the logbook. You can also support the podcast by buying select game t-shirts and other goodies at redbubble.com. Look under user the logbook. Phosphor.fossils, a comprehensive timeline of the golden era of video games, including The Odyssey 2, can be downloaded at thelogbook.com store which is also where you can find the books I've written about everything from Doctor Who to Star Trek to Growing Up Geeky. Feel free to drop me a line at the Facebook page for thelogbook.com, via Twitter at logbookguy, or email me at earl at Select Game Expanded Memories of the Odyssey 2 is a production of thelogbook.com and was written and produced by Earl Green. Music performed by Kazatochi, available for free download at thelogbook.com.